What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What's up? It's Friday, people. FT Live on Stadium, Braun. No Przinsky. Not Przinsky. You almost said Przinsky. I'm right here, though. I'm sitting in his chair. Oh. Kratz and Kipnis, who's uh, winning shirt of the day. What do you got for us, dude? Our guest like Jones. He better appreciate these. He won't. He'll be he won't. so he won't. he'll be he so won't. smug about it. He never appreciates anything I do. Yeah. <laughs> Did uh, everyone on Cleveland have one of those? A good amount. We, we okay. started making. Uh, I think because there was a lot of people there that were there for five, six years all together. So I think after a certain amount of years together, I think the shirts started to come out. I know one person that didn't like it. Didn't like it or didn't have one? Didn't have one and wear it. Who? Trevor Bauer. <laughs> Let's have a good show today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, boy. We'll, we'll get to him at some point in life. Uh, yeah. Because I do think he's going to be back in the bigs next yeah. year. But um, anyway, let's charge the damn mound, shall we? Uh, so let's start with the remaining managers um, or manager seats that need to be filled here. So uh, Phil Nevin interviewed with the San Diego Padres. They're taking a while to get theirs done. Um, Mike Schilt is a candidate. Ryan Flaherty is a candidate. Benji Gill was a reported candidate. We had Joe Madden on our show who said he wanted to be a candidate. I don't know if he ended up actually meeting with them, but we've had this manager carousel going on, Kratz. The Padres have their own manager carousel that's been going on for a decade now. So I can understand why they want to get this one right. I would think this will be the last, is this fair? The last manager under the A.J. Preller era. This, this will be it. Because either they're winning and this manager will stick around for a while, or they won't. And they'll say, okay, enough. We've been trying with a lot of resources for a while, and it's just not working. I I don't know. I asked a question to, I forget who I asked yesterday. Um, but he, I was like, you know, the whole, the whole Ron Washington thing, getting hired with the angels, you're, you're sitting there going, okay, does he want to win? Like, is it a job? He just wants to be a manager. Similar can be said about the Padres. Like, why are the Padres not in on the other guys? Is it the fit? Is it the fact that AJ Preller knows that Buck Showalter wouldn't fit well in this clubhouse? Is it completely a power play by AJ Preller? Like, it, I, I'm, I'm confused. I do like the Phil Nevin interviewing, though. I just – I don't know if I see Flaherty being a new young manager with this team that A.J. Preller built. Schilt, I just don't – I'm not in lockstep there, but A.J. might like him. But I feel like Phil Nevin would bring in some, like – he, you know, a little bit, a little bit more of a back and forth. Like he's not afraid to stand up for what he needs to stand up for, 
but he's also, you know, maybe not hated by Preller who I don't, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm so confused by the Padres. <laughs> uh, do you know any of those guys, Kip? And also from what I collected on the Angels side, Phil Nevin didn't really do anything wrong. He's just part of a system there that, you know, is a mess from the owner. Um, I even heard that players were vouching for him to stay, but it's not up to them. So yeah, I, I could see Phil Nevin working. Also, I think Phil Nevin's reputation is interesting because sometimes people see him as like big, tough, you know, gets into it with people sometimes like publicly. But I think behind the scenes, he's actually pretty, pretty laid back and, and easy to relate to for most people. Of those names, I think Phil Nevin offers you the best case scenario. I think he brings the most uh, experience to that table. I, I like guys like Flaherty, but again, I think Kratz was hinting on this. I think with the, the lineup and the roster that San Diego has put forth, it changes things. It changes how and who you have to bring in. And I, as much as I think Flaherty, Ryan, deserves one, but you have he used to play with Machado, and it's tough when you have these guys who – make so much money and uh, have these personalities, a former teammate might not be able to command as he'll command a certain kind of respect, but he won't be able to really put them in the place that say a, a much older veteran guy, maybe like a Nevin can. I think I'm not saying anyone of this sort would do this, but a Machado or something like a former team, it could be like, ah, shut up or something like that. But cause he, cause he, the line's a little blurry of former teammates and managers when they become uh, working together. We just had one who just got let go in David Ross. And and so that's kind of what I'm going on. And I think uh, that was my my one year there was his first year. It was 2020 with Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, I actually do want to say I thought Ross did a, a phenomenal job of walking, tiptoeing that line of knowing when to be the former teammate and when to be the manager. And he was there, there's a certain divide. It's probably like a 90-10 where you're the manager, then the 10% still friend because you got you to gotta command the respect and you have to know that, Hey, what, what you say goes in, in certain things. And, um, and you just have to use that 10%, that friendship part as a, a benefit to you and the a benefit makes it easier to communicate together. So, but I think with the roster for San Diego, that just, that's calling for someone with a little bit more experience that can kind of reel everybody in a little bit more. Doesn't that, doesn't that don't care, but that's what I was, that's who I was going to ask you about. Doesn't that kind of like that relationship already happen when your teammates, like in the sense of like, I, Let's let's say example like Flaherty and Machado used to hang out, or were they just teammates? And Flaherty was a guy that could be like, "Hey, yo, easy, slow your roll," because even superstars need to be told to slow their roll, or they're just going to get out of hand, and you're never going to have any semblance of of order in the clubhouse. I'm not saying Flaherty can't be like slow your roll. What I'm saying is how Machado responds to hearing that from, yeah. say, a older manager compared to someone he's played with. That's the difference that I'm trying to distinguish. And I think yeah. um, the benefits you'll get from playing for someone that you played with, I think the communication can be a lot easier. But I think there's, to me, it just you're walking this fine line of a respect thing where it's like, because that line's blurry where they look at you almost as a still a teammate or a former teammate and a friend rather than a uh, superior, I guess, in that instance. Yeah, no, I hear you. I like that blend with Nevin, right? He played – he's been a star, actually, yeah. for that ball club. And he also can be laid back behind the scenes and give you, like, that West Coast chill but still put someone in their place. You know, it's almost like 
another candidate with a team already that would come to mind would be Bob Melvin would make sense. You know, that type of manager. <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? I mean, it seemed like a really good fit there, but I guess he didn't get along with, uh, with Boss. Phil's going to be able to Phil's going to be able to see his house if he manages in San Diego. If if I were to, if I were to push my chips in one direction, I would say I would say if the Padres have a successful year next year, it's because Phil Nevin comes in and is the manager. Okay. And with all that being said, he probably won't get it, but it was good to at least kick it around. Good we'll story. See. No, but I'm I'm glad we have consensus there at least, you know, from the list. And also in fairness, I don't know a ton about you know benji gill's managing skills like i just don't have a lot of background there so i don't want to rule that out if someone's like oh you're you know you're not giving him enough credit i don't have enough there to to offer i don't know if you guys do but i don't so i I haven't come across benji i don't know anyone that knows him so that one's a little more of a wild card for me let's get to a little update we didn't get to from yesterday's show and kip we spent like an hour plus a couple days ago on Brian Cashman's press conference and how Steinbrenner is speaking. So we're not going to go down the entire route, but we can get a little take from you because you weren't with us the other day. And it was definitely an unconventional press conference. But the one layer in terms of visuals that we want to show everyone is, you know, he was saying that the Yankees have the smallest analytics staff in the American League East. There has been research done on this. And I think we've got it for you. There it is. It might be a little tough to see. Um, can we show that full? There we go. Small, so, so this is from Eric Boland, who was on our show the other day. Kip writes for Newsday, and he is plugged in as hell. And he said, during Tuesday's press conference, Cash said the Yanks have, quote, the smallest analytics department in the American League East. According to Four Ring Sports, as of August 27th of this year, that did not appear to be the case. You can see that chart. The Tampa Bay Rays are number one, barely ahead of Who's that in number two? Anyone? New York Yankees? Correct. New York Yankees. So your your thoughts on all of that? And also, I, I don't know if you caught what I said, Kip, but my one thing was, even if that was the case, they still could be like seven or eight overall. And I don't even think that matters. It's how much influence do certain people in that department have, which is part of the problem, too. Well, I didn't. I didn't need to see this graph to know that that statement was full of shit. So, because, um, <laughs> uh, and I'm strictly going off of conversations with former teammates that have played for the Yankees or have gone through that place. At some, and one of the main things they rave about is the analytical side of their that organization is just how much information hitters have to their uh, advantage. And um, so, there's just no chance that they were near the bottom. I think maybe. He looks at it as it's the smallest because he's just delegated it to a few people and then kind of push it off his table and worried about some other stuff. So it's not it's maybe it's the smallest to him personally, but across the league, that makes absolutely no sense with all the advantages that the Yankees have had and um, the the numbers and uh, statistics that are presented to them. Just never that never seems like the case from a, a player standpoint. So that's not if, a statement. It seemed like I think if you go, I think if you go to a guy like DJ LeMahieu and you say, DJ, what was it like coming from Colorado to New York? While DJ would probably be like, good. (laughs) If you're his teammate and he can sit in a hot tub in his relaxed time and talk about what it was really like, he had so many advantages from the analytic department. Yeah. The team uses a ton of analytic 
decisions. And I would kick back against what Scott said, not necessarily the influence, because the Rays have a lot of influence on their analytics and it works out. I would say the continuity. Where's the continuity to minor league development with analytics making those players become big league players that are successful? What is that? Like if you have a ton of success in the minor leagues and you can't do it in the big leagues, you are done as a player. I've lived that life. Like you have success in the minor leagues, you go and you go and play in Japan if you hit a bunch of dingers in the minor leagues. If you don't translate that success to the big leagues. So to me, it's the continuity. So if you have a lot of people in a department, whether or not the size of the department or not compared to other organizations, you know, he could have said, "Oh, well maybe money-wise or maybe, you know, he wasn't talking about people-wise." Whatever it is, it's the continuity. How do you make those transitions? And being with the Rays, I know they make those transitions. They have people that that tell the big league player or the big league coaches who then implement it. Like let's say let's say uh, money. I'm forgetting money. My money was his name. He was a little tiny uh, analytic guy for the Rays. He would give information to Chad Matola, who was a fringe he was like a 4a player played a long time in the minor leagues some in the big leagues and has been a hitting coach with the race for a long time he would give him information and motor would motor would would uh you know deliver it to the hitters or timmons would deliver it to the hitters the assistant hitting coach the first base coach now the big league hitting coach for the brewers so it's about that continuity in between each each person uh, or each department and making it one fluid motion through through the big leagues to W's in the big leagues. I think, and uh, this might be just adding on to what Kras just said, I think the continuity should be not only through the organization departments out to the big league team, there needs to be continuity between your low le- lower levels to the big league team. It's, if you're having success in the minor leagues and you have a way of going about things and you come up to the big league level, and you have all these new analytical terms and um, numbers thrown at you that you've never used before or seen before, or you're like, hey, let's practice. We This guy's fastball rises four inches, so we're going to practice swinging a ball and a half above this baseball, and you've never done that before, you're, you're not going to have success, or at least not the same success you've had in the minor leagues. So I think when you hear about a Tampa, and I've heard it even in a Houston or something, they integrate what they do at the big league level all the way down through the minor leagues. So it's not just a surprise once they get up there. So add that to the continuity that can help uh, the players succeed with the information. Also, resources are good. I mean, looking at that graph, the top five is Tampa Bay, Yanks, Dodgers, Phillies, Mets. I mean, aside from the Mets, those are teams that have had pretty good success over the past decade. I guess you could kind of make a case. I mean, the Mets had a, a few good years. They're certainly not bad, right? It's not the bottom rung. Now, it's easier to go to the other end. Who bottom the five bottom? teams. Who are the bottom five? <laughs> Oakland. Poor Colorado, Oakland. Colorado. Miami. White Sox. Kansas City. Now, I promise you also, there will be massive restructuring with one of those teams going on over the next year or two, and that would be Miami. Miami just hired Peter Bendix, who was running shit at Tampa Bay, and they bring him in for one reason and one reason only. We want to be the race. 
It's a they're very the simple conversation. They sit down. The one surprising to me, kind of of that bottom five, but it, uh, you would think most teams would look at this graph or this list and see which teams are at the top and which teams are at the bottom, and kind of put together, hey, maybe we need to concentrate on this a little bit more or use this a little bit more. And that goes against a lot of what I've said in the past of like how the game can't be all analytical, but to use it wisely can be a, a, a smart thing, obviously. I'll say this, and it's ironic that I'm actually wearing this shirt today because I did a little bit of work for True Media. They're in 22 of the 30 big league teams. And of those bottom three, I mean, those bottom five, three of the organizations did not have a connection to this analytical company. And now after I talked to them, two do not have a connection. And one of them, like you said, Miami, is moving in the direction. And I think it's it's because they're able to or they're willing to ask questions based on their big league staff. Hey, what are we missing here? What can what can give us value without pushing all in to our salary on the field? It's a good combo. Um, we will uh, also just have to see what they actually do with their roster in the offseason. That that kind of helps tell a lot of the story too. No, I mean. Yeah, but you're talking about Miami? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm tying a bow on this with the Yankees. Oh, with the yeah. Yankees? Yeah. The Yankees are still going to be in. Are we going to be talking about the Yankees the same way in a month if they sign Yamamoto, trade for Juan Soto, and, you know, add another outfield back? Are we going to talk no, the same No, we're going to say, hell yeah, that's how you get it done because the talent on the field makes the difference. Yep. Hello. It's all about Ws. This show knows what's up. You know, this is, this is a bunch of players on, on a show talking about the game you know it's not like oh how can we save the most money and have the most successful team like uh, they the the voting just now for Mike Elias to win exec of the year was like they were all giggling like oh my god they tanked for six years and they don't spend any money and they're so good like there's so many dudes that are so proud of that and that's that's not what we do on this show it's, no. That's not cool to brag about that. Not cool. Um, not that he he's done an exceptional job. I'm just saying, like, that model sucks for fans. Our uh, FT Senior Insider, first off, most importantly, are you in quarantine right now? Are you okay? <laughs> I'm good. Actually, I'm in St. Louis, and AJ's going to be here, too. There's a celebration of Tim McCarver's life going on. Tonight, actually, there's an event, and then tomorrow is the, I guess, ceremony, you would call it. And believe it or not, they've asked AJ to speak. I don't really understand the thinking there, but we're going to find out, I guess, tomorrow. Yes, I have context on this, Kratz. So, yep. yeah, the, go ahead. You know, do you know about this, Kratz? The order? No, I was just going to say he's well versed in the vernacular, so he would mm-hmm. be illustrious at his engagement of speaking. I'm at the compound, <laughs> Ken. So, just so you know, for a little background, I'm sure AJ will tell you this himself you know, 50 times, but um, the order is, I believe, Joe Buck, Bob Costas, and then A.J. Pusinski. <laughs> That's not the number three hitter I want in that lineup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the pressure is on. All right, so anyway, I do want to start there, though. Did the virus make an impact at the GM meetings? Were, were there less face-to-face things not getting done? Is everyone okay? I guess everyone is okay. No one on our staff got the virus, as far as I know. 
actually, I don't know of any writer that got it. It was simply some club people that were staying at the hotel. Most of the writers were not staying at that particular hotel. It was bad enough that they canceled the last meeting on the last day. So certainly something was going on. I can't speak to actual details. I don't know who got sick. I'm tracking other things at this time of year. <laughs> so it wasn't fun because actually the last day, even the last night, uh, Wednesday night, I kind of got out of there. I'm like, I'm not staying here. Usually I'd stay late and see, try to see as many people as possible, but I just kind of left and then the next day I didn't come back because they did cancel that final meeting. So it was an odd GM meetings to say the least. Yeah, and the GI meetings, as Stephanie Epstein called it, was pretty clever. Um, we, we do have one, one tweet to show to, to cap this off from our friend John Heyman, who wanted to make sure everyone knew, Ken, that <laughs> he went to In-N-Out most nights, okay? So he's good. It was, it's funny when you start to get reporters saying what they ate and that they are okay <laughs> versus what the news is. <laughs> right. Well, we all had some fun with it, but yeah. I'm sure for the people who were ill, it was not that fun. No. Agreed. John, Agreed. So. The whole time. Yeah, we're, we're hoping everybody feels better on that yeah. front, um, yeah, in all sure. seriousness. Okay, so Ken, let's start with what you wrote about the Brewers the other day, digging into your notes in The Athletic. The column is up there, and I think there's been a lot of buzz around what you wrote and I would say speculating from fans. Like, what are we going to do here? I mean, is this going to look like a rebuild? Because the team doesn't usually go down this route, but will they take advantage? What else can you add? And, and what else have you seen since you put that out there about the fact that the Brewers can go in a variety of directions? And the, you know, here's the crazy part to me when I was reading what you were putting out there, Ken. They won the division last year. And it's not like they're losing everyone. Woodruff was only on the team for half the year because of injury. Right, Scott, it's a situation to be sure. And the Brewers are, let's face it, a low revenue team. They've been that. And what is happening here is a question of timing. So Burns, Woodruff, and Adamas are free agents after this coming season. Devin Williams is a free agent after the following season. And they have a nice young group of position players, a core that is forming. And the thinking would be, if they made some trades, that they could perhaps acquire some pitching, some younger pitching, to complement those young position players. Now, their owner, Mark Atanasio, has always been opposed to a straight rebuild. They haven't done that, and they haven't needed to do that. But here they are. They just lost counsel. And I don't know that one thing has anything to do with the other, but given that you've lost your manager, you have a, a certain situation here with a number of players it's something that they have to look at. All teams listen on all players at all times. We know that. But what I was told, and the reason I wrote what I did, is that there's a little bit more going on here, that they're listening and they're interested in kind of exploring some things. And I know some Brewers fans got upset with this, same Brewers fans who were telling me I was full of it when I was writing about Council possibly leaving. But the reality is teams have to look at their various windows, as we discuss and decide what is best for them at that particular moment. And what might be best for the Brewers at this particular moment would be to trade Burns for sure, one year left, trade Adamus, and then see what's out there for some of the others. If you're going to trade those two, maybe you trade Devin Williams with two years of control. Remember, the last time they had a big-time closer, they traded him at the deadline with one-plus year of control. That was essentially 
or would be essentially where Devin Williams would be at this year's deadline. So those are just some names. They can look at others too. But if you're the Brewers, you have to be considering all possibilities here. And you have to be considering the direction that I wrote about. Now, in your article, you said teams don't actively go to teams and say, hey, do you want my guy? Teams come and say, hey, you know, you, hey, we're inquiring about your guy. Are you insinuating that possibly there's a little bit more of the other? Or what you said, you said there's a little bit more than just the like teams coming to the Brewers and saying, hey, what will it take to get Burns and Adamas? I think what I wrote, Eric, was more about their public positioning. And what they'll say is, we're not shopping our players. We're merely listening. When in reality, they might shop the players. It does happen. So I don't know exactly at what level the Brewers are with this, but they certainly are listening. And it often is semantics and it kind of cracks me up. I once wrote a whole article about the lies you hear at the winter meetings. And one is, we're not shopping our players. We're just listening. <laughs> it goes on all the time. And the point of what I wrote in that particular part of the article was that this seems to be a little bit more than simply listening. This seems to be a real consideration of a strategy of going somewhat backwards to go forwards later. All right. From one team that has some talent that could be traded, you wrote about Bobby Witt Jr. And I'm going to present you something because... You know, maybe there's negotiations. There's not. Let's say these negotiations don't work out well. Bobby Witt's looking like a minimum $200 million player. Not saying the Royals can't afford it. But with two years of service, because nobody's ever done it, could they trade a guy like Bobby Witt Jr., who there's no other good, unless Adamas is on the market, could they trade a guy like that who's never going to sign? Because every year, if he continues to do what he does, He's going to be a $300 million player. Then he's going to be a 300 and the Royals don't touch that. Could they trade him in, an, in a year, in an offseason like this, where it's a weak free agent class? I don't see it, Eric, but I know where you're going with it because if you can't sign him to an extension, then what are you looking at? You're looking at perhaps keeping him for the entirety of his six years of control and then letting him walk, which teams can certainly do. Most teams haven't done that lately, but they used to do that a little bit more often. And... You could take that perspective on it. But with Wit, it's really interesting. A year ago, when all the big free agent contracts for shortstops started going down, Turner and Bogarts and Correa, all of those, Dansby Swanson was another one. If you were the Royals, why actually not if you were the Royals, the Royals at that time were thinking, man, we're never going to be able to keep this kid. There's no way. And he went on to have an amazing season, right? 30 homers, 49 steals, 96 RBIs. But circumstances have changed a little bit. They know that obviously it will cost hundreds of millions to keep wit. But they've had some internal discussions, and it's not as if they're saying there's no way we can do this. They're looking at it. And they're looking at it in part because they're trying to get a new stadium built. And they want to sell that to the public. And if you trade Bobby Witt, to get to your point, Eric, you trade Bobby Witt when you're trying to get a stadium built, good luck. So there is some momentum, perhaps. Actually, that's a strong word. Momentum is not the right word. But there is some thought that maybe they make him the Royals' version of Patrick Mahomes. Maybe they make him the guy who's going to be the centerpiece of their future 
as they go forward and hopefully get into this new ballpark at some point in the near future. I don't know that it all will work out. Obviously, it's going to cost a lot of money, but we have a template from the Julio Rodriguez deal, a template from the Austin Riley deal. These were different contracts that were signed at different stages of players' careers. Corbin Carroll was another one. Corbin Carroll was less than 100 days of service. Julio, I believe, was less than a year of service or a year plus. And Riley was two plus years. So you can look at those contracts. That's the starting point, or those are the starting points. Obviously, Witt Jr. is a middle of the diamond player, so he might be even more valuable than those guys. But it's not out of the question that this could happen. I want to tie in two stories to your red story about Joey Votto. There's no playing time, right? You wrote, there's no, there's no playing time. They might even have an excess of position players. And they're going to kind of platoon or like mix in DH first base, which I'm assuming is going to be with, you know, league minimum type of players is, is how I read what you were writing. But then across, essentially across the state, you know, you got to pass Pittsburgh over to Philly. They're putting their franchise keystone in Bryce Harper at first base. Who's doing the right thing? Both, I would say. And mm. I understand the Reds' position. They have seven position players in their infield. Now, Nick Senzel might be a non-tender candidate, so that would be six. But most of those players, actually four of them, were rookies last year. These are young guys. And they can find playing time at first base DH for Steer and Canacion Strand. They can do this any number of ways. And Joey Votto would have clogged up that picture. And if we had Joey sitting with us right now, he probably would admit that as well. So for the Reds, this makes a lot of sense. And actually, it might even make sense to trade a guy like Jonathan India if they can get the pitching back in return that they like. The Phillies, it's an entirely different situation. It's a question of what is best for Bryce Harper and his career and what is best for their team going forward. And I can see the logic of Harper at first, number one for his career. He is a guy who, as we know, plays really hard. Putting him at first base will reduce the wear and tear on his body somewhat. It's not nothing, obviously, playing first base, but you don't have to run to the outfield every inning and you don't have to, of course, chase balls down the way outfielders do. From the Phillies' perspective, it kind of opens up the outfield a little bit. They have some younger, good defensive players, Rojas, Pache, Brandon Marsh, of course. They still have Castellanos on their roster, and there's been talk that possibly he would be traded, but it seems to me this makes it a little easier to keep him. And then you have Schwarber in the DH spot. So it kind of improves them defensively in some respects, and it gives them a little bit more flexibility. Now, obviously, it was bad news for Reese Hoskins, who is a free agent and meant a lot to that team and that franchise. But I thought that was the way they would go as long as Bryce Harper was willing to do that. And it certainly seems like he thinks first base could be a good thing for him in the future. What are you hearing about discussed with Aaron Nola in the sense of is he seen as a stable rotation piece with possible upside years? Or is he seen as like a flat-out one or two that's going to come and save a rotation? A little of both. He certainly is a stable rotation piece. I don't know about upside. Eric, he's 30. He kind of is who he is, and I don't know that he'll get much better. Certainly could get better as he gets a little older because of his sheer experience. But 
The thing that recommends Aaron Nola the most is his durability. Second in innings just to Garrett Cole since 2018. Now, the last three years, two of those years, he's had high ERAs. But he was really good in the playoffs this year. And he's certainly someone, because of his style, his repertoire, it would suggest that he's going to age well. So a lot of teams like Aaron Nola, especially in this day and age when you have so few starters who go deep into games to save bullpens, Here's one that actually does and actually takes pride in doing it. Hasn't been on the injured list with an arm injury since, I believe, 2016. Hasn't been on the injured list at all since 17. So this guy is reliable, he's durable, and he's going to do well. And I know some of the initial free agent projections for the starting pitchers for guys like him were in the $120, $125 million range. Even Snell was somewhat low, in my opinion. I would expect that the whole group is going to do better than those lower projections. I think they're going to be doing really well. Yamamoto, above $200 million. Blake Snell and Nola, in my view, could be above $150. I'm not great at predicting this stuff, but it just seems to me the demand for these pitchers in this era is going to be so great that they're all going to do really well. Okay, so we have a fan question. It fits in perfectly. We are very prepared for this one. Sean Ireland in the chat. Manager update for Padres, Brewers, and Astros. Well, we're going to take a trip down memory lane, Ken, back like a month ago when we were trying to figure out an over-under of how many manager changes (laughs) there would be. So let's run that. Over-under over the next week, one and a half manager announcements. I would say firings, but you know how some teams will carefully craft their wording. One and a half, though. I feel like... That could be a tough number over the next week based on what I've read from your article a couple days ago. What do you think? Well, first of all, Scott, I have to ask, is Terry Francota included in this? Because he is no. stepping down. All right, no. So you're asking one and a half firing. Yeah, like, you know, if the Astros miss out on the playoffs, Dusty, which you wrote about, you know, yes. Buck situation, Boone and, and Melvin. I don't know in the next week, one and a half, but I would say over the next month, yes, one and a half. And you know over. what, guys? He's over. over. Yes. So, Ken, that number hit during that week and then has now, what, tripled since then? (laughs) I think I went on to say in that discussion that there are always things that happen that we don't expect. That's always true. And if I had to guess even then, if you had said really put a number on it, I would have put it at probably three or four. And we've exceeded that. It's certainly been a lively period with the managerial merry-go-round. More lively than I expected. The council thing just blew everyone away. And even the Bob Melvin situation, very unusual. A guy would leave a team to go to a division rival with the team's blessing that was letting him go. So we've had a lot going on, for sure. And yes, there are three jobs left. So I guess you want me to go through those teams. I'll do my best. With the Padres, it certainly seems it's going down to... Ryan Flaherty, who's been on their staff, and Mike Schilt, who also has been on their staff, the former Cardinals manager. A.J. Preller at the GM meetings basically said he wants someone that he knows from working with in the past recent times. He wants someone he has worked with. He thinks that's best. He had Bob Melvin, hadn't worked with him before. He had Jace Tingler, had not worked with him before. Andy Green, the same. And those didn't work out for him. So now his thinking is, all right, let's get a guy that I'm familiar with, that I'm comfortable with. And my guess would be that it will be Flaherty, but I don't know that for sure. 
With the Astros, Joe Espada is certainly a guy who has been waiting long enough. He's been the bench coach. He's had a lot of responsibility under Dusty Baker and A.J. Hinch before him. He's someone who, for whatever reason, has not gotten a job yet, even though he's interviewed a bunch of times. Dana Brown, the GM, spoke highly of him this week. The question is whether the owner, Jim Crane, will go along with that. Jim Crane is a guy who likes names. He likes sizzle. And Joe Espada is a big name in Houston, I guess, because he's been there with the team. But he's not, for instance, Don Mattingly or Buck Showalter or someone like that. So that's going to be really interesting to see, basically, if Jim Crane lets Dana Brown pick the manager. We'll see. Now, there was one more left, and that would be the Brewers. The Brewers general manager, Matt Arnold, came out at the GM meetings and said that bench coach Pat Murphy is someone that they're looking at quite heavily. He was the bench coach under counsel. And for continuity's sake, Pat Murphy would be the right choice. He's popular with his players, and he's a guy that you can certainly see stepping in and doing it. He was the interim, or one of the interims, in San Diego under Preller. How it ultimately shakes down, I don't know. I would assume they're going to interview some outside candidates as well, but it certainly sounds like Murphy is a leading candidate for that position, and we'll see if, in the end, he becomes the Brewers' manager or if he goes to the Cubs as Council's bench coach, which I would imagine is another opportunity that is available to him. So we still have the three left, and it's been kind of a crazy time for sure. I love it. Well, I hope that we get decisions next week. Ken, appreciate it. Um, you look well rested, so uh, enjoy the better. next time period. That better, yeah, and doing better than most. So we hope everyone gets well soon, um, and I uh, hope you're gearing up for the next battle, which will be winter meetings. Absolutely. Yes. Well, have a good weekend, Ken. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Ken Rosenthal with us on FT. Um, like getting a fan question in there too, and appreciate a lot of the comments today. Like, oh, you guys are running all off season? Yes, we are. Every weekday, we're here for you. Basketball players want to be football players, and football players want to be basketball players, and we all want to play baseball. Like, <laughs> baseballer viral hit of the week. It's a good discussion. CJ Stroud, uh, big QB on the Texans. It's about all I know. I've not been paying close attention in the football world these days, and I'm an unfortunate Jets fan. But anyway, Brent Rooker also had a good reply to that saying, and all baseball players want to be golfers. Back. So take it away, guys. This is all you. It's true. All I do is golf now. Golf. <laughs> I love it. It's the it's lazy also, pyramid. It's the what? It's the lazy pyramid. Go on. All football players want to be basketball players, a little bit lazier of a sport. All basketball players want to be Football players, okay, so there's just – and then lazier down is the baseball players, and then even lazier than that is the golfers. I met, I met a football player one time. He had a 10-year career. He goes, you guys did nothing, and all your contracts are guaranteed. You guys stood there for four at-bats, and you stand at your position, maybe get a ball. He's like, we hit each other for 10 years straight. And I was like, eh, we had the new signings of like the Browns or something would come through the Cleveland uh, locker room if they were throwing the first pitch or something. And they were like, you guys got guaranteed contracts for, <laughs> for how much? And they're like, what's your 40 time? This is what they're like asking everybody. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, I would blow you away. I got to do that four times a day. 
And I go, yeah, but watch this. And I like, would like, throw him a baseball like when he wasn't looking and he like drops it. I go, exactly, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> also, like put him at the, put someone at the plate and say, hey, yeah. try to hit this ball. But wait, here's the biggest part to drop on them, Kip. Drop on any football um, player especially. Yeah, we have guaranteed contracts. Where's your union at? The NFL is so fucking rich. Yeah. What, why, you guys have to it's, – it's called putting up a fight and knowing what your value is. But no have one's, seen, no one's doing seen, that because the QBs take most of the money, no? Have you seen some of the best athletes in the other sports try to swing a bat? Have you seen, like, yes. Gian, the video of, like, Giannis and some other ones? Like, the best of the best, cream of the crop. And it's like their motor skills just disappear when a, you put a bat in their hands. Yes, absolutely. There's not – that's that is perfectly said – and some of them, especially like the basketball players, they take a baseball and they're like, <laughs> well, that, that too, it's a ping pong ball. I lost yeah. the ball. Where is the ball? Oh, Where's it's in the there. Ball? You got to dig through. Yeah, your hands are too big, dude. Actually, great call from Derek behind the scenes, he said. And golfers want to be gamblers. <laughs> so it's <laughs> that, just a lazy pyramid. That is on your lazy pyramid. <laughs> but the real, the real lesson here is from the footballers, like, Get those contracts guaranteed. They get their asses kicked. No. They need they need a better union situation. Oh, Do you agree? Fact. Always have. They get talk destroyed. About, talk about rich. We talk about how owners in baseball are rich. Come on now. Football owners. <laughs> they're just like they're, you know, they're like, they're like me every first and fifteenth. Got the bandana over their mind. Give me your money. It's a stand-up. It's true. It's true. They're on another level. I like it. All right. Um, Baseballer.com uh, is the spot for some of their merch and also uh, for more viral hits each and every week on the show. Thanks to our friends over there. And thanks to CJ Stroud for giving some love to Major League Baseball. So let's get to some awards talk for a sec. Uh, next week, they'll reveal the winners. And we're going to do a little MLB Perfect Inning 23 Cy Young discussion right now to go over some flamethrowers. Now, the discussion on who's going to win the award, Kip, would be kind of boring because Blake Snell is winning. It's like, oh, excuse me. Yes, confirmed. Okay, Blake Snell is winning. And up oh, here comes word from the BBWAA, fakely. Up, oh, Garrett Cole is winning. And actually, if you watched yesterday's show, Kevin Gossman even said it himself, I'm not winning. <laughs> Garrett Cole is winning the award. Do we have everybody's picks from the beginning of the year? We don't have them. I mean, All the ones I can get them for you verbally, probably. I, we have a board that we posted, of course, because yeah. we keep receipts. Um, Did you have Cy Young? Did you have who I had? I'm trying to. That's why. I'm pretty oh, sure you have Blake Snell. Blake Snell and Garrett Cole. We all picked Blake Snell and Garrett Cole. <laughs> I might have had Cole, but uh, no, I, no I, way. I, anybody, nobody on our list picked Blake Snell. There's no, no way. No. I didn't know. I know I didn't have it. I might have had no way. I went for the double of Shohei. MVP oh, and Cy Young. And Cy. Cole is definitely, I think, on at least a list or two. Kip, you had Otani and Alcantara. Um, okay, what else I you got Max, for us? I know I had Max Freed. And, and McClanahan. McClanahan. Injuries are going to get you. It happens. You were looking good for a little bit. Nobody had Cole? Nobody Who had Who did I Cole? have? Who did I have? Let's embarrass me. You had Max Freed. Or Shannon or McClanahan. I definitely I did not have Freed. Maybe I didn't pick. 
Yeah. A lot of DeGrom season. I wonder who had Cease. Yeah. He's not here. (laughs) Exactly. Adam Jones picked Dylan Cease. Never mind. Wow. Okay. And AJ. And AJ. AJ. No surprise there. Who's the most surprising of the six finalists to you? So, obviously, wipe off Snell and Cole. They're going to win. Who's the most surprising on that list? Name it again, real quick, just to, for the audience. Of the finalists, and I'll give you mine as I'm going through them. Surprising, so got, like, before the season or surprising, like, what we know now? Like, oh, I didn't I think. I would say before the season, you know. So so you've got Logan Webb, Blake Snell, and Zach Gallen. On the other side, you have Kevin Gossman, Garrett Cole, and Sonny Gray. For me, it's Sonny Gray and Logan Webb. Logan Webb a little bit, but Logan Webb, and you saw how they were in the playoffs if, like two years ago or something. He's nasty. Uh, I just think he doesn't he doesn't have the overpowering stuff that Cole might have that can just brush through lineups, but when his stuff is moving the way it can, it's, it's not hard to see. But if you're turning him surprised, yeah, maybe out of the comparatively speaking to the other ones, sure. I would say based on how the season went, like before the season, you would definitely think Logan Webb's going to be – up there were 100% gallon, so Webb would be. But for me, the guy that that I think surprised people even during the season, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, and this guy is like he's another one of these short, short, pit, short pitchers that is super athletic. Like he's a guy, honestly, when he was with Oakland <laughs> and Voter, Stephen Vote always always would tell me this story when he got traded over to. New York, and I was with Sonny in New York, and Sonny, he he agreed with the story. He's like, it's not, it's not false. He goes, you know what, man? Sometimes I'm halfway through the pitch. I know you threw you called cutter, but I just feel like a sinker's the better pitch. So <laughs> you're looking for like 97 cutter, and he's like, nah, 90, 97 sinker. So it's like he's an athletic dude that can manipulate pitches, manipulate the ball. I just didn't think. Kyle Bradish should have been left off this list. So I don't think Sonny Gray necessarily is undeserving. I think he should be up there. I just think Kyle Bradish is a guy that came out and did it all year long. And the the players, the players chose it too. The players thought he was one of the top three pitchers. Sonny Gray is one of the more uncomfortable at bats. Oh. To ha- he never throws – his ball's never straight, and he never throws it where you want it to be. You're like, okay, at least I have my head in the count here because he's cut, or, cut off the plate way too much, and now I'm up 2-0. And it's like, okay, I'm going to look over the plate now, maybe outer third. Nope, right back into the kitchen. And it's it's like he never gives you what you want, and it's just so frustrating. And it's like you you, you have to wait for that one pitch. But, like, all year long it looks like, I mean, 2-7-9 ERA? Oh. ain't giving people that, that pitch. That pitch never came for a lot of people. And I believe he had the best home run rate, home run prevention in he, baseball during the season. You don't – It's he's so hard to get the ball up into the air. Like, it's it, his stuff just buries down at the bottom of the zone. He lives there. He rarely misses up. And if he is up, it's because he wanted to be there uh, or it's for a show. But it's usually maybe one pitch max in a bat that he goes up. Otherwise, he knows I'm going to keep this ball down. I'm looking for ERA plus two, Kratz. So, Sonny Gray was – 154 this year and Bradish was 146 pretty close 283 ERA for Bradish in 168 and two-thirds 
in the past, too, you would say, oh, he had to pitch in Camden Yards, but Camden Yards is not the same Camden Yards anymore. I mean, still, would you still consider it a hitter's ballpark? Yeah. Yeah. Well, center and center over to right is still very much a hitter's park. Right. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, breaking news, Snell's going to win and Cole's going to win. Um, and Snell's going to get paid a lot of money. He's won two Cy Young awards. He's not old. And there's also going to be teams that are like, I think I can get that with a little more consistency. And even if it is five shutout innings, like, cool. Most teams will take five shutout innings every start versus, you know, a dude that they don't want to push. I mean, it's it's efficiency, too. I mean, if he gets to 100-something pitches, right, 100 pitches, 105 pitches, teams just don't let you go anymore, too. So that's just how it is, right, Kratz? Here's my – no, for sure. You're exactly right. They don't let you go anymore. But my thing would be this team that signs them. You look at the third time through. You have to tailor all your scatter reports individually to pitchers. You're not going to have Blake Snell pitch the same as Martin Perez pitches. It's just not smart. So why handle them the same way? And I can't wait till Blake comes on here and gives us his spiel about, you know, hey, man, I'm just trying to do my best and all this stuff, bro. When the reality is, he is a unicorn in the sense that I think hitters were hitting 136 third time through the order against him this year. So, to me, I'm going to go to Blake and I'm going to say, guy, we gave you $160 million. I want you to tell us when you don't have enough. Exactly. Exactly what Kip just said. Like, it is not his fault that he's coming out of the game. People say, well, he throws too many balls. He throws too many. The game wants strikeouts. He is delivering you strikeouts. He has shown the third time through the order, he actually gets better. Now, don't get me wrong. I think, I think opponents hit like 208 against him. So if you're going to, if you're going to this level to get this guy, tailor it to him. Hey, you know what? Every three outings. We're going to let you go to 120 pitches. And you know what he's going to say? Give me that ball. Just like Kip said, here's the ball. He's going to say, give me that ball. And until he breaks your trust, run that man out there. Because that is your horse. And he has shown it and proven it. And I would challenge whatever team to sign him. Don't take the kid's gloves off. Take them off. Let him go. My question. I agree. Can I I echo? I just want to touch on that real quick is – Who's taking him out in the sense of, are you guys in Kratz? You might be able to hint on this or you know where I'm going with this. Is it the manager? Is the reason Preller wants someone he's worked with? Cause he knows he's going to get someone who's going to say yes to him and is coming above the manager's call. Like you, there's gotta be some feel for why these guys are being taken out of the game this early when they this, go. No, 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 no. You're, you're right. This is a continuity of an organization. Okay. Yeah. You have, I'll give you the four sections of the organization. You have minor league development, you have scouts, you have the big league team, and you have training staff. If all four of those can't agree on how to run things, that's where the GM steps in and says, okay, you know, we're doing this. Or president of baseball operations, whatever it is. They step in and they say, okay, this is how we're going to run things. If there's not continuity in that, you're going to have struggles. So every day, a manager gets a card, okay? It's going to look exactly like this, and it's going to have every pitcher on it. And every pitcher's 
times that they've gotten dry humped when they've gotten warmed up in the bullpen is going to be on this on this line. Every time they've pitched is on this line. And then it's going to be color-coded. And you're going to have color-coding on who can pitch and stuff in the bullpen. And then at the bottom, it's going to have your, your starting pitchers. And the starting pitchers are going to have red, green, and yellow. And that's going to dictate if you're in a yellow, hey, you know what? This guy's an 80 to 100 pitch guy. If you're in the green, he might be a 90 to 110 pitch guy. If he is in the red, this start, he may only get 75 pitches. And that is based on knowledge from the analytics. That is based on scouts seeing what this guy did before and reading the numbers of what he did before and the training staff saying, well, this is the percentage of times that people break down. And to me, if you don't have if you don't have continuity in there in the sense that Bob Melvin should have been able to go to Blake Snell and say, hey, how do you feel? And if Blake Snell comes back and goes, I'm good, dog. Like, take the ball. It's my free agent year. Then fine. But I don't see Blake Snell doing that. Knowing him as a teammate for six weeks that we were teammates, that dude was like, He's not going to put up a fight, but he's also not going to be like, uh, here you go. I've done well, so I don't want this ball anymore. He wants that. So a manager has to a manager has to save his players, but he also has to win the ball game. Yeah. And also, Kip, he's got to limit his walks. I mean, that's the one other thing. Like this year, he was he was dominant. He was absolutely dominant. And he would walk dudes and then he would punch dudes out. So he would get in trouble. And when you're looking at an award, it's different from how you're projecting things forward, right? You're, you're As a team, you're just like, hey, dude, we just got to figure out ways to keep you in the zone more. And for, for some guys, that works. And for others, it doesn't. This was his career high walk rate. I don't think that necessarily means that's what's going to be the future for him. I mean, hey, Kratz knows. Jose Alvarado, most teams were like, oh, he's a mess. He can't throw strikes. And then he came to Philly, and he was pretty damn good. So um i think there's another gear still i think there's teams looking at him like yo there's one more level here and because he's won the two cy youngs so it's not like it's not like oh man you know that was he was overachieving nobody overachieves the years kipnis was an all-star he didn't overachieve to me injuries or or like whatever it was got in the way the years he wasn't an all-star so snell is a cy young candidate year in and year out. And as a free agent, you need to look at him and say, well, what does he offer? Because he's impervious to platoon advantages. And teams just constantly, like Gabe Kapler just constantly kept running out right-handed right-handed batters. And I'm like, oh, I'll take the over on that game, over strikeouts. <laughs> because he was better against righties. But teams who are like, oh, righties don't hit better against lefties, so we need to put righties in the lineup. And he was just like, strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. So how many of those walks were, you know, advantage counts for him where it's okay to walk a guy? So that's what I would look into deeper to get the full contract value out of Snell. Yeah. By, and by the way, he's, he's probably getting $200 million based on how many teams need starters. Rodon last year was 6'162", and I don't think they're in the same weight class at all. Like – based on durability, based on track record, based on age still too. It's not like, you know, Snell's 35 years old. He's, what is he, 30? 
31. You can just stop at your first one. You said durability. There's a lot of these guys have the stuff to go out and dominate for any given night, but it's the ones who can continually show up every fifth day. That's the ones you need to count on. That's the ones you put your money towards. Yep. I'm with you. I All got right, five so, years, 185. I, I could see that. The only reason I, I, th- I could over under two hundo, I, I think he'll tip over two hundo. Just based on stuff, based on where he's at, based on the market, based on the Rangers just winning with starting pitching, you know, all of that. I like it. I think he tips it. You got over under 200, Kip. I got just under. I've got like 190, 195s. Yeah. Okay. Because people are talking 200. People are talking 200 for Yamamoto. Now he's younger. How old is Snell? 30. He's 30. Uh, I mean, he'll be he'll be thirty one. He's turned thirty one in a couple of days. Okay. And that's the difference. Yamamoto's twenty five. He's in a great position. He to is. me, if you go six years, if you go six years, it's over. I'm yeah. saying I'm saying it's like a it's like a two ten, but I'm saying it's going to be a five year. Oh shoot! I mean, teams teams are dragging these things out like nine years, but we haven't seen them drag out. We haven't seen them drag out pitchers' contracts. Not like position players. Listen, there's a nope. good, there's ever a bad time, but there's a good time to win a Cy Young, and it's right before you go become. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, also, for the prediction business, what I've always learned is I usually come up with what I come up with, and the one thing I do is I usually add a year, because I'm okay. thinking that, and I also read articles and see what other people smarter than me are saying. But you know, if there's a bunch of people going, oh, he's going to get five one eighty or whatever it is, okay, well then there's probably some teams maybe thinking that way, and one team's going to say six. That's deal. That's usually how it goes. Yeah. What yeah. I do, what I do is I watch, I watch the network, and then I go, I'm going to multiply that, multiply <laughs> that because the owners are trying to drive down prices, and they're like, here it is, here's your numbers across the desk. This is what we want the value to be on our players. My, my former teammate Brian Kenny put out a thing like a couple months ago saying what it was like 200 million or something for Otani. I think it was 325 million. And he was like, I don't know if I do it or not. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, Otani's going to get $650 million. That's just why, like, I mean, that was, that's a bubble. Enough TJ gets over 200 million. Correct. Yeah. It's just, they're, they're in a little bubble there on, on, on some of those topics. That's why our, our numbers are looking good in the offseason. So anyway, there it is. MLB Perfect Inning 23. Scan the QR code on your screen right now. Download it for free. And there's all your game features, including various MLB legends, updated team uniforms, rosters, and more. Um, all right. So went a little over time today. Great day. So let's uh, recap for one quick second. We are going to slap hands in a sec and uh, give a special shout out today, obviously, on a Friday for a big day coming up on Saturday. So let's slap. Kratz hats. Little, uh, Military appreciation hat from the Pirates. This is John with the the uh, digital camo. I always think this is as much as you can't really wear a Pirates hat in Philly. When I wear this hat, I'm not in Philly, but Philly's Philly's territory. When I wear this hat, they're kind of like, okay, okay respect. It's a good looking hat. 
Digital camo is awesome. So same here. Yeah, shout out to all our vets um, and everyone currently serving. Uh, we appreciate you. Veterans Day is Saturday, November 11th. And uh, yeah, I did a little, little camo shirt. So, camo, John. Um, appreciate everyone for joining us today. Good shit, dude. And that was fun with Jan. That was a fun one. <laughs> I got to text him after this too. Yeah, you gotta you gotta see him gotta after see this, him. dude. Yeah, you do. Take the blame. That was my fault. Yeah, that's that's, right. that's what this show's for. We're just bringing Bad friends. Bad city host. Bad city host. And Kip, I don't know if you're on with us next week, but wish, wish. I mean, I'll be there, whatever, for fun. But this guy is a serious contender for for uh, other hand. Don't crush it. Don't crush it. Be ruined. I need, I need food tips. I'm gonna pack my own snacks. Eat light. You don't, have to, you don't have to miss. You don't want to be antied and blinded to death because you're in the bathroom for 20 minutes. It's very nerve-wracking talking about the poker tournament. Kratz is going to be in with me. Like fidget spinner, something to just yeah. kind of. I'm just going to hold this. Help the nerves. He is bringing that too, which is incredible. The, just put it right on the table. Intimidation. Just put it right. Put it. Put it on top of your chips or on top of your cards every time you roll. <laughs> the world's best paperweight. Every... <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> see everyone next week hey get in on the action with the ft fam at BetMGM. new customers use the bonus code foul f-o-u-l for a $1,500 first bet offer download the BetMGM sportsbook app on ios or android or visit betmgm.com sign up and deposit at least ten dollars into your BetMGM sportsbook account Place your first wager and receive up to 1500 bucks back in bonus bets if the bet loses. If that bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once your initial wager is settled. Gambling problem or concern? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.